let's talk about some comic books. <laughs> but new projects. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everyone, and welcome to issue 111 of my podcast, The Comic yeah. Book Informer. That's right. Vince is back with another episode of his fantastic podcast. And if you happen to hear some other rumblings in the background, that's just my grumpy sidekick, Roger. I feel so privileged to be a guest on your podcast. It means a lot that you would take the time to have me on here and guide me along. It's, it's really wonderful. You're such a wonderful host, too. <laughs> Truly. I don't know what I did to deserve a guest spot on your podcast, but whatever it was, just let me know. I'll keep doing it. I'm sorry, Roger. All the time, anytime, <laughs> any day, day or night, you say, hey, listen, I got this podcast. I think it'd be cool if you joined me this week and I'll be there. Even if it's not just about comic books, let's say it's about something else. You just say the word, I'll be there. Because I know you put out quality stuff. Anyway... <laughs> Before we get to I this subscribe week's... to all your stuff. <laughs> High like five star reviews for everything. And not just because I know you. Let me know. So to be given the chance to actually be on one of your things, man, I can't get enough of it. You done? No. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Anyway, before we get to this week's discussions, I actually have something that just came across my desk, and I will read it to you now. This May, Image Comics forces you to wonder why we keep pushing this silly comic book over and over again in a new adjective-laden comic called The All-New Secret Skull Kickers. <laughs> Quote, we can't stop it now. It, it has a life of its own. This reboot-itis has permeated our souls, said Image PR and marketing director Jennifer DeGuzman. I hated it at first, but now it feels kind of good, warm, safe. In a darkened world full of uncertainty, it's all we have left. The all-new Secret Skull Kickers number one, written by promotional broken record Jim Zub and drawn by innocent MP3 Edwin Huang, continues the epic six-arc Skull Kicker storyline on a haunted island of mystery, apes, and rampant violence. It's good. At this rate, I figure we're still a couple months away from using up any goodwill I might have built up in this industry, said series corrector Jim Zub. This, this is the kind of thing that can happen when you let creators write their own press releases. <laughs> God, I love him. <laughs> you know what's funny, though, is that, like, and we've talked to him, too, and stuff, and, and we both know he has so much respect for the big two and for anybody else in the industry. So you know it's all tongue-in-cheek and he doesn't take himself too seriously and that's what comes across it's just having a lot of fun with something that everybody else has said the same damn thing i can't it's it's so wonderful i i never want him to stop nope i agree i agree i want the last issue of that comic book to be a number one <laughs> that's probably crossed his mind 
<laughs> and we also have some other interesting little bit of news I wanted to cover this week. Uh, at Ball State University, there's actually an instructor named Christy Blanche who is teaching a college course called Gender Through Comic Books. And this is actually really interesting because, one, it's a discussion that's very worth having and something we've been supporting here for quite a while. She has guest speakers, including but not limited to Mark Wade, Scott Snyder, Brian Vaughn, Matt Fraction, Brian Bendis, and Gail Simone. So there are a lot of really high-tier creators who are behind this project and supporting it. And to make it even better, it's actually a massive open online course, which means anyone and everyone can sign up to take this course online for free. I think it's that awesome. It's great. I think it's awesome for no other re- reason than to actually get um, get these these creators' perspective on different things, like some of the questions that they they kind of mentioned briefly there. Um, it was kind of cool to see and and to get it where in. I'm assuming there's going to be a lot more time spent with each of the creators to really delve deeper into how they feel about this, not just the short fluff that you see in a lot. And I don't use fluff negatively, but you know the short. And and I, again, I don't want to use it negatively, but canned responses when the creator is used to answering all the same questions all the time kind of thing. They have responses in the bank and they just pull it out and that's what you get. But here you're going to get them tackling issues that and, and subject matters that they don't necessarily, you know, tackle if they're being interviewed by a comics review site or something. Yeah, this just has me really excited because I hope anyone and everyone signs up for this because it's free. So you really have nothing to lose. And... This is a discussion that definitely needs to happen. We talk about about it here regularly, but it really needs to reach a broader sense because Scott Snyder, Mark Wade can write the greatest female characters in the history of comic books. But if the fans and the readers aren't behind it and it doesn't sell, then the comic's going to get canceled. No one's going to care. So this is what I feel is a good step towards not just changing the way comics are written, not just changing the way they're drawn, but changing the way that the people who actually read them perceive the comics. And that's an important step that the industry and the community needs to make. Well, not just that too, but I think it's important because it is something we're in there's been a, a variety of courses offered and you know all manner of colleges and universities wherein they'll talk about you know gender in literature and various uh, aspects of sociology in literature in film and different things like that and this is broadening that to give a lot of respect to a different medium and it's just as worthy as any other because it's again you're telling a story it doesn't matter how you do it you're telling a story so it's really giving a lot of credence to this medium that we care that much about so for that reason alone even i'm really behind this Yeah, so absolutely check it out Uh, for those of you listening through iTunes or whatever. The link is in the show notes, so you can find it there and follow it and sign up. According to Mark Wade, it takes all of 30 seconds. So I'm hoping that we'll be talking about it as it's going on as well. Yeah, I'm going to sign up. Um, Hopefully I have time to actually view the course, (laughs) but it's very interesting and something I'm looking forward to. Agreed. Okay, now on to the actual comics that we read for this week. Last week we had a fantastic fantastic discussion about you know samurai stories and the traditional classic Japanese story architecture. So completely by coincidence, I decided this week we were going to talk about a classic American story structure, and that's the American Western. And we are talking about The Sixth Gun. This is a comic I've been hearing about for a long time now, and finally it's like, okay, I got to check this out because 
every month when it comes out, looking on Twitter, Zub, Scott Snyder, Brian Bendis, all these guys are saying The Sixth Gun was the best comic on the shelf this week. So I finally went and dug up the first six issues, and I was not disappointed. It's published by Oni Press, uh, written by Colin Bunn, and art by Brian Hurt, and I absolutely loved this. What did you think, Raj? I enjoyed it a lot, but I'm not going to go so far as to say I absolutely loved it like you. And to say that it's the best on the shelves right now, I definitely would not. It's it's in the top that I would that I would enjoy reading. But I like again, I thought it was very good, but nothing that's phenomenal jaw dropping for me. But also, mind you, this is the first story arc. Now, two years there later, it too. might be it might have increased dramatically. But well, that's thing, not to say this first story arc was not good in and of itself. Oh, that's exactly. No, it was very good. And the further I got into it, the more I was enjoying it. Because in all honesty, if I had been just picking up the first couple of issues, I probably or I may have stopped just because there were a lot of cliches that we've seen before. And it's not until you get further in that, once again, it's it's what a, a writer does with said cliche to see whether or not they, they've got the chops to write it out. And um, as you proceed through this and you get into those, you know, issue three, four, five, and six, then you you can really appreciate, okay, yeah, he's got a good handle on this. So And, and you really get more of a, a handle on the characters as well. So I can only imagine if you'd been reading this all along how you'd feel about ongoing issues right now. Mm-hmm. And where this definitely deviates from 47 Ronin or Lone Wolf and Cub is that this isn't just a pure Western. It's actually a supernatural <laughs> Western. It takes place uh, just after, after the Civil War, and our main character, Drake Sinclair, is in search of this famous treasure, the gun of one General Oleander Hume. And he's not the only one in search of the gun. Hume's widow is in search of it. So, yeah, there's bunch of bad dudes out there. This gun has become the central focus of the story. Of course, it is the sixth gun. And as we come to find out, the five other guns, as well as the sixth one, have incredible supernatural powers, be it raising the souls of the dead, shooting fire, giving everlasting life and immortality, or as we see, being able to see the future. I mean, just going completely wild with the concept, and yet all works so well in the boundaries of the story. The thing too that I liked is like I like westerns however I much prefer them in film than in comics. For me it's just a personal taste mm-hmm. and uh, and even then in film it's got to be really well done for me to really like it and it's it's far too easy to 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 not do the, the genre service and so as I'm reading this and it's like the gun thing I'm thinking ah uh, you know I can see how a lot of other people, maybe, yes, this would really appeal to them, but not so much me. But then it's as you find out later that they weren't always guns. And then you're going, oh. Yes. Okay, okay. (laughs) I like where you're going with this. There's a lot of opportunity to mess around with that later on. Yeah, as as we see as the story progresses, these same sigils that are embellished into the guns were once on the swords of the Templar knights themselves. So this story is going to be going back through the ages Damn near to the beginning of time, Cave most likely. Clubs. Yeah. <laughs> so really cool stuff. But we had some great characters. Drake Sinclair starting off with, you know, he starts off as kind of like the, I, I'd say more of like a Han Solo type character, especially when we see him at the beginning dealing with uh, the hanging tree and all that. And come to find out that he has a very complex history, a very interesting character. I don't want to kind of ruined too much because I'd encourage anyone to check this out. But let's just say uh, he has a checkered past that he's 
may be trying to make up for it, or he may have his own interest at heart. So just seeing Sinclair's evolution over the course of the story, and I'm really interested to see what he does going forward now that he has so much power in his possession. We also have uh, Becky Moncreff, who is uh, the owner of The Sixth Gun, and she's She's a pretty cool girl. I mean, she's your Annie Oakley type. You know, they're trying to teach her how to shoot and she just blows all the targets away. He's like, yeah, my, my dad taught me how to shoot. Come on. Anybody knows how to do this. And the villains, the villains were great. Be it the undead Civil War general, you know, all the somewhat cliched yet still awesome, you know, the four horsemen, if you will. And then even the, the widow was such a great character. I loved all the characters in the comics specifically. Yeah, no, I agree. And even, even the sidekick guy, what was his name? Bill John. Bill John was great. He was fantastic, yeah. <laughs> so as the story goes on, we see this expanding so much, taking us through the Wild West, through you know the American South. It just seeing so much of the history actually brought into it too with uh, the prisons. And interestingly enough, one of the major characters come the end of the story is an African-American character, which is, of course, at that time, almost unheard of. And he's become essentially the mayor of this prison town. Everybody looking up to him. I, that was a cool touch. But really, one of my favorite things that they added into the story was the Native American folklore, which we saw with the battle with the giant bird, lizard, lightning. I don't even know what it was called. I know it exists in Native American folklore. I just couldn't remember the name and didn't feel like wikiing it. But bringing that aspect into it as well really helps ground the story in, in the American culture. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, that was, again, as there, as there was more and more of the supernatural stuff that was happening in it, and then you realize, okay, this is not just going to be a Western. The potential for anything is there because of, like, again, you're looking at supernatural stuff. It's endless in terms of what you can do with the story. So bring in this giant freaking supernatural <laughs> creature. And, uh, and no, it was a lot of fun because then you're you're wondering a lot more what's going to happen in the story. Whereas, again, with the traditional Western, it's a fixed script kind of thing. So as soon as they start kind of deviating from that, that's when I started to enjoy it a lot more too. And then it's like, okay, now now I don't know where it's going. Now I want to keep reading so that I can see where it's going. Because mm -hmm. as the story goes, the... Uh the the raiders uh, the the dark riders whatever they they gave they gave these guys like fifteen different names of the course of the story but that it kind of also leads you know leads to increasing their mystique like basically these guys are just bad as can be they have all these powerful weapons you know never run out of ammunition supernatural powers just not to be messed with and over the course of this first six issues they start dropping one by one i mean yeah one got killed by the bird lizard so that was kind of a gimme but you know seeing bill john standing up to take down bloodthirsty bill and with each time drake's there to pick up the gun and that just adds to the menace that you see coming because as we know these guns yeah they grant you great powers but they always come with a price and as we find out, Drake was once offered one of the guns himself and turned it down. So for him now to go through and collect four of the weapons himself, it, there's so much stuff. Like, I, I really want to jump in and just keep reading this comic. Yeah. And I liked it, too, because um, at that point where you see where he was offered one, where he was supposed to take one and then turns away from him. And that's the one that went to the general's. Um, wife and it's like oh that's how she fits into this equation and that's how Drake fits into this and uh, they, again very well handled 
And can we just talk for a second about how awesome the fight scene was between Becky and Miss Hume? Oh, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> she, she, she draws up, a, she has, you know, her pistol and uh, a cavalier sword. So, you know, Widow Hume is immortal. That's her gun's power. She will recover from any wound and never age. So Becky can, sh- Becky can shoot her all she wants, not really going to help much. So something that I didn't see coming and, you know, once it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. She cuts off the Widow's hand. That was a nice twist. <laughs> Actually, I saw that happening. I just didn't see the hand growing yes. an entirely new body. <laughs> <laughs> that I liked. Having the, the leftover body wither and die because the body's not holding the gun. The hand is holding the gun. And then the hand regrowing an entire new body from that. That, that was a great twist and a, a way to do something unique with what has you know, over the years become a pretty typical thing to do. And you know, it's it's you're getting hooked into the story when you're 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 looking at it and you're screaming at the comic, kick the gun away from my hand, just kick the gun. Away. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound effects too that are drawn, the slurping kind of sounds as it's regrowing. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I saw a hand starting to regrow its entire body. I don't know if I'd be going anywhere near it myself. She had a gun and a sword; she could have taken it. It was just a hand. <laughs> But that whole last battle was just fantastic. It took up pretty much the majority of that yeah. final issue yeah. where you have uh, General Hume and his troops going up against uh, the prison town. And theoretically, the prison town would be on the upper hand of that, except uh, General Hume himself is an undead sorcerer of some sort. I really want to know more about all the things he did uh, prior to his death and raises an entire army of the dead that are buried surrounding the prison. But we had a nice touch. As we saw earlier in the story, uh, Silas had his gun. Every time it killed a person, it would absorb their soul. And then he could then fire those souls into the ground and basically raise a golem to fight for him. And throughout the story, those golems were pretty weak. I mean, you know, you, you breathed on them too hard and they'd fall apart. But once Drake got a hold of the gun and was able to summon those same souls himself, we see that they are now they they're not just mindless they they have their own will they have their own thoughts and now that they're fighting against the person that was uh, so responsible for their demise they're that much more powerful and i i just again there's so many simple things that i really enjoyed about the story yeah yeah it, the other thing that i liked as well too that's worth mentioning because we're talking again about the strength of the writing um is the um the fact that he didn't make it sound entirely period specific, but just enough that it worked. Um, so you're getting a lot of the the same manner of speech that you would get from that time period. Not to the extent where it becomes annoying, but enough that it doesn't feel like you're reading a modern day story. Again, speaking to the the talent of the writing. Yeah, and, and I, I'm probably going to be talking about this on next week's what we're reading because I already have the next handful of issues lined up. So. <laughs> I, I'm I'm kind of really anxious to get in there and see see what more they do because uh, with any great story you know with your starting off with your little six issue story arc they gave some great flashes of what's to come and I I, I just can't wait. Yeah, no, I agree. So so now I know why Colin Bunn now has a job writing for Marvel because he definitely proved his chops uh, doing his own series. All right, so for this week's what we're reading, I actually have an interesting discussion this week, and that's about The Walking Dead. Because I actually went back, and I'm not fully caught up, but I read, uh, I think, up to issue 106. 
See, we actually never got a chance to talk about issue 100 because that's when I was on my uh, yep. time off. It wasn't a very good issue. <laughs> well, go back and listen to what I had to say about yeah. it. Yeah, and like, it shows you just how kind of, I can't even put it into words, but what's wrong with the comic when over the course of, I think from issue like 96, I think it was to 100, they killed off Abraham and Glenn, two major characters. And I didn't feel anything when it happened. Like it was just in the kind of just like, oh, he's dead now. Like, whereas prior to that, anytime one of the major cast members got off, like it was a big event. So it, it kind of, that was a big warning flag of like, you know, something's, something's weird with this series, but issue 100, the, the, the issue itself, it was just like, oh, we got to do something big and we did something big and okay. But I did kind of like the setup that it had going forward of putting Rick into a new situation that we hadn't seen him in before of having to be submissive of not being able to be the alpha male in a given situation anymore and having to coexist with these other people in a, in a new dynamic. And I thought that was, could have been an interesting way to drive the story forward. Right. And of course we find out that that was completely worthless. He, you know, he's working his own plan behind exactly. the scenes. So as I, like, yeah, it, it's basically, they're just telling the same story they've been telling since they got to this freaking town, which was God, how long ago issue 80, even earlier. It's been a while. I don't know exactly. It, it's really time to move on and do, do something different because that's what it is. It's, they're just recycling at this point. And even you know, the stuff with Carl, I was like, come on. Like, that's the best you could come up with is to have Carl stow away in the back of a truck and start killing guys. Like, it, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Like, I can't put my finger on any one thing that's wrong with it, but there is something wrong with it. I have actually not read uh, 106 and 107. And now, again, for people who are like, oh, you guys just aren't fans, but please. I, I ripped through all of them to get caught up in a matter of a couple of weeks and then was reading it every single issue. It came out the day it came out. So, no, I, I, I was an absolute huge fan of the series, of the strength of the writing, of everything. And now... I could care less. Like I said, I'm too behind. And I honestly, I don't care. The writing in them is point blank bad. Now, again, this is subjective. Everybody has got their own opinions. Although I think that right now, because the, the series has been around as long as it has been, because of the TV show, the games and everything else now, the... The IP is what people are have become fanboys and fangirls over. So you're getting a lot of people defending it that, oh, no, 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 it's fantastic, it's great, that maybe aren't really taking the time to analyze what it is they're reading and what's being shoveled down their throats. And I'm sorry to say, I really think it's gotten bad. It's Yeah, some people will enjoy it, but to me now at this point, no, it's just... It's, I, I don't care about the characters. I don't feel they're being well-written. I think that it's become sensationalistic for the sake of being sensationalistic and not because it was that screw you kind of series. We're going to kill off whoever needs to be killed off because they screwed up in the story. So nobody's safe. No, now it's about, you know, it's issue number 100. So we got to kill off somebody big and make it into a big deal. So it's changed. It's kind of, you know, sold its soul essentially and I just could care less about it anymore 
Speaking of not being able to care less, I also want to talk about The Walking Dead TV show <laughs> that had its mid-season return a uh, week before last. Did you watch any of season three yet? I watched the first half. I, I'm, I'm caught up except for that last episode that just, just came out. Brief thoughts? I had been saying all along, really. The only reason I'm watching it is because my son wants to watch it, so we've been watching it together kind of thing. But all I do as I'm watching is point to the things that I hate. <laughs> so <laughs> your I'm arm not, must get tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm really not a fan. And again, I, to, for, for, just to reiterate here again, though, we are still fans of the IP. We don't have to look any further than the Walking Dead game that did damn near everything right. And that was brilliantly written and a fantastic game. There is still strength in the IP. It just depends on how it's written and how it's handled. Unfortunately, both the TV and the comic book are not well handled in my opinion. Well, it's kind of hard to be well handled when you're on your third showrunner in less than three years. Yeah. <laughs> AMC is jerking the series around so bad. I'd be surprised if they got any more original series uh, heading their way. But the uh, the mid-season premiere, like that was – that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me because it was an hour. And of course, everybody's like, oh my God, it was so fantastic. It was the greatest TV show. They're watching a different show than I am, clearly, <laughs> because in an hour of television, what happened in that episode? There, there was very little of significance to happen over the course of an hour. I mean, the, the, the main thing that happened was the two most interesting characters on the show left. Now, of course, they'll, they'll be back. They're still involved. But <laughs> the, the, really, the only reason I was still watching the show is because I liked Daryl and Merle. <laughs> they just took off into the woods in the first episode back. I was like, oh, great. Thanks. I, there's this point where the people of Woodbury are kind of revolting against the governor. And Andrea comes out and gives this rousing motivational speech and everybody's like oh well yeah and goes back to their lives I was, I was practically yelling at the TV it was so horribly handled like it was just pointless uh, ugh. and then now apparently Rick has completely gone off the deep end and to the point where he's hallucinating he's ranting he's raving and, and like I, I I had the second episode back uh, last or two days ago I had it on the TV couldn't tell you what happened because I didn't even look. Like, it was on. It was background noise. I was more interested in reading about my supernatural cowboys. <laughs> I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. So I, 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 I've been soldiering through because, you know, I want to be involved in what's really an iconic moment for comic books coming to, to the mainstream. But I, I just can't do it anymore. If, if this is going to be the moment, I'm sorry that it's so generic and uninteresting. Well, the thing, too, is that, like, again, we've known this since the very start. We could see how the TV producers had their hand in changing the story from what it originally was. And there has to be a certain amount of that for sure. But some of the stuff that they did was just senseless. And and, and it just did not work on for a variety of reasons. And that just hasn't changed. Yeah, it, it's I have just no problem. gone worse. I have no problem with it being different. I encourage it to be different no, because yeah. otherwise I'm going to know what happens. But it has to at least be as good as what they're changing. Yep. 
All right. Uh, moving. Uh, the other one I want to talk about this week is uh, Venom. Uh, I'm really enjoying what's going on uh, with Colin Bunn, who we just talked about for Six Gun, taking over the character, moving him out of New York and into Philadelphia. And he's really been handling Flash in a different way than uh, Reminder did. Reminder's Flash was very focused on, you know, his relationship with his parents and, you know, everything that's gone wrong there. Well, obviously, at the end of Reminder's run with the the, the Sinister Six, Sinf- Savage Six, whatever, his six. <laughs> <laughs> that entire thing just blew up in his face. He had to get out of there. But we saw some great developments uh, of you know how he no longer feels safe to be around the people he loves. Where whereas Spider Man tried so hard to to protect the people he loves by you know staying close, Flash takes the opposite approach of moving away. You know, as as long as he's not in the same city as his mother or Betty, they'll be safe. And that's a cool twist uh, of showing the difference between the two characters. And the stuff that he's been doing with the symbiote itself and seeing the fallout from the the Circle of Four storyline with uh, when they teamed up with Ghost Rider and all them and seeing where that story could continue to go in the future. And the symbiote and acting in new ways, different ways, scary, frightening ways, both to the readers and to Flash, cool stuff, and how they're continuing to bring Eddie Brock back in now that he has another new symbiote that he is the host for and how everything they're doing here, it's it's taking what's kind of been done before with Spider-Man but twisting it in great ways that really fit the characters and make it new and refreshing. And I think that's kind of cool when you have a character like Flash Thompson Venom, who's trying to be like Spider-Man, having situations that are similar to what happened to Peter over the years, yet twisted in their own unique ways, I'm really enjoying. I'm sadly behind on Venom right now. I really need to get caught up because I'm, I'm, I really want to get caught up. But again, it's just there's so many other damn comics to read yeah, right seriously. now. I, I need to get caught up on it because it, it was exceptionally strong. It continues to be strong. So yes, I can't wait to get caught up. Mm-hmm. And since we both wanted to talk about Wolverine and the X Men this week, I'm just gonna oh, I get to start talk? off by saying I get to. Oh no, I don't. I'm, I'm, You're gonna, not I'm gonna start You're, it. And okay. You can take it from there. It's your podcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I do not want to step on any toes. I, I, Heaven I forbid I not you be in. I could talk about it for a while if you I, wanted. I mean, I, it, not that not that your opinion matters on my podcast. It does, I know it doesn't. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say I really like that Jason Aaron is picking up on the storylines he established in Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine because we loved that miniseries and seeing. Finally, he's picking up uh, his cliffhanger there and carrying it on here. I'm really happy to see. But that being said, though, the rest of the story with the kids on Savage Island, what did you think of it? It was fun. It was interesting. I mean, it wasn't phenomenal, the greatest story ever, but I enjoyed it. Really? I wasn't that crazy about it. Not to the point of saying, like, I disliked it per se, but it's stuff that we've seen again quite a few times so and and again i know they're they're really trying to do a lot with choir and i just don't like the character so every time it's like they're trying to do i like that i don't like him though (laughs) yeah i don't i don't i there there's other characters that they could Mm -hmm. be trying to do so much more with than him but they're trying to make him into such a big deal here and it's like uh no I, I got no use for the character. So, like, for the, the the majority of this story is just, again, Wolverine dropping them off in the Savage Lands and just fend for yourself and try to keep up. And, um, and again, that's kind of something that we've seen before, that kind of thing, and with the, the people being stuck on the island and that kind of thing and running from dinosaurs. And I'm at a point now where it's like, hmm, 
he's not that big a deal anymore. So I was a little disappointed in this, actually. I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to be happening with Wolverine with that that, that mm-hmm. part of the story. That, that's but, by far the most interesting yeah. developments. But the, the rest of the stuff? Mm, yeah, I really didn't enjoy this, which is too bad because typically I love this series. Mm-hmm. So. I, there, there's there's room to go here with now Wolverine being gone. We see how the kids are going to cope in the Savage Land without their chaperone. I mean, even though they were supposed to be tracking Wolverine, you know, he was still keeping an eye on them. And I mean, they don't, they don't exactly have the A team here. We've got Eyeball Boy and Glob. So yeah. <laughs> it's it's still a fun comic to read and definitely unique within its niche. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. Okay. Yeah. What else you got then? Um, the newest X Men. This is where we're seeing the flip side of what is going on with um, Scott, where in his team is just if you're an ex, if you're if you're a mutant and they find you, they're taking you. <laughs> you're going with them. That's that. Whereas here with this one, we see how it's Storm and her team who find the mutant and fight for him, but then let him decide what he hmm. wants to do if he wants to go with the government um, soldiers, kind of super soldiers, um, if he wants to go with them or if he wants to go with Aurora's team. And so that was the, it, it came off almost preaching at the end. Like, you know, we're not <laughs> Scott, we're not just kidnapping mutants, we're letting them decide. And then the entirety of the issue, though, was one giant fight scene. That was it. <laughs> and so it was like, I, <laughs> that's all it was. Was Have you read it? No, I, I think I stopped reading around issue 35 or so. Okay, yeah, because that's all it is. It's the, the X-Men versus these super soldiers and uh, government stooges and basically then the preaching about we'll let them decide what they want to do. And that's all it was. So it was kind of lacking any kind of substance because it was all just one ginormous fight. I I think that comic's just been kind of killing time until the relaunch for a few months now. Yeah. So anyways, that's it. Okay. Well, as for this week's new releases then, uh, from Marvel... Very interesting. We have Alpha, Big Time Number One, a new miniseries starring Peter Parker's former sidekick. Really cool to see, uh, you know, how they're going to bring him back into uh, the spotlight. We have Avengers Number Six, Captain America Number Four, Captain Marvel Number Ten, Dark Avengers Number One Eighty Seven, Indestructible Hulk Number Four, new Number One for Marvel now with Nova. We have Superior Spider-Man number four, Thor, God of Thunder number five, Ultimates number 21, and X-Factor number 252. Too many comics to buy. <laughs> you probably pass on Nova, but we're oh, going to have to talk about it soon. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> DC, we have issue 17 for Green Lantern, Justice League, Nightwing, Supergirl, and Wonder Woman. We also have the new Justice League of America number one with all 53 covers. And Hellblazer number 300, the final issue of that before it uh, relaunches in the new 52 proper. You're joking about the number of covers, right? No, I'm not. You're serious? Or, no, it's actually 52. One for all 50 states, uh, one for Washington, D.C., and then one just generic cover. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> hey, you're the one that likes variants. Not that much. <laughs> it was hilarious scrolling through the, the, the solicit, and I was like, what the heck? Oh, it's that week. <laughs> all right. And then for everybody else, 
we have a nice lineup this week from IDW with uh, Borderlands Origins number four, the final issue of that little miniseries. They are relaunching their G.I. Joe line with a new G.I. Joe number one uh, written by Fred Van Lente. So I'm uh, probably going to check that one out because I've enjoyed a lot of his work. We have Godzilla number 10 and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 19. Saw a, a story coming up of, uh, I think, starting in issue 22 where – Shredder finally does recruit Leonardo. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From Image, we have Happy Number 10, or Happy Number 4, and Saga Number 10. And coincidentally, this week from Oni Press, we have Issue 29 for The Sixth Gun, as well as The Sixth Gun, Sons of the Gun Number 1. It's a miniseries exploring the backstory of uh, the four riders that we saw in the, in the first storyline. So I promise you, I did not plan it out this way. <laughs> But you know what? Sometimes on my podcast, you know, things just work out. Magic happens. On your podcast, magic happens. To be a part of that, even just to witness it from afar, it's awesome. It makes my Tuesdays. Do, do you think you'd like to come back for next week maybe, on my podcast? Maybe. I can, maybe. If you have me, yes. All right. I'll try to work out some scheduling. All right. I'll have my secretary get in touch with Have you. your people call me. I don't mm. have people. I'm not as big as you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to find out if Roger comes back for the next episode, uh, please tune in for that. Until then, you can find us at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. And thanks for listening to my podcast. Now I'm going to have to find that and link it in the show notes so people know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs>